You've come to the right place. If you're a course creator looking to build more impact, income, and freedom, LMSCast is the number one podcast for course creators just like you. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I'm the co-founder of the most powerful tool for building, selling, and protecting engaging online courses called Lifter LMS. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name's Chris Badgett and I'm joined by a special guest, Brendan Tully from Australia. How are you doing, Brendan? I'm good, Chris. Yourself? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, you're a course creator. You have an IT background. You have WordPress expertise. You make sites fast and you understand SEO. And I think it's apparent to me that you're a serial entrepreneur. <laughs> so you start, you're a very creative, business-minded person with tech chops which means there's a lot we can get into this episode. Um, and I'm super excited to, to unpack, go down some of those roads with you. One of the first roads, though, is just you as another course creator, a fellow course creator. Uh, I actually just finished your course, and we'll talk about the content of it a little bit. It's called the Pareto E-Commerce Blueprint. It teaches SEO to um, predominantly like online stores. Um, and I got a ton of value out of it, even though it, like an online course is is not necessarily a you know a website selling mattresses, but it, a lot of the e-commerce, I would say eighty percent of the course was like perfectly suited to the online course creator. But backing up, why did you decide to make that course? The course came from so I have a, an SEO and AdWords agency, and we do in-person workshops and training as well. And the course came, it kind of came from that. There's, there's a, you know, we deal a lot with kind of, I'd say the local small business, the people that have e-commerce online stores attached to their business as well. And, you know, the work we were doing for those people was, it was the same thing over and over again. They are making the same mistakes. It was the same optimization. It was the same process. So the course was built basically out of the process we were using for them. Um, you know, we, we, the agency business we have deals primarily with Australian businesses. It's yeah, so building the course was an easy way to, to reach a wider audience and clone myself. And I kind of felt like we were saying the same thing over and over again. So, so that's the reason why. And, um, you know, the, the course space is interesting. You know, it's, I, I guess one thing I love about courses and we actually have a couple of other course businesses, um, one where we teach people how to play the didgeridoo online. Um, oh, I don't think awesome. we mentioned that before we got on the call, but um, it's like the ultimate way to clone yourself. Like you, you put this stuff out there and it just keeps working again and again. Whereas we do the, the in-person training workshops while I really enjoy it, it's really hard work and it can be really draining. You stand in front of people for, you do a whole day workshop. It starts at, you know, 9am, 9.30 in the morning and it goes till four in the afternoon and you're just totally wiped out after it. So the course space is interesting in that I don't think a lot of people frame it like that. Like it's, it's like you just clone yourself. Like as a, I guess as a small business entrepreneur, you have a small team and only 24 hours in the day. So you make this video that that's out there and it just works, you know, it's the ultimate working in sleep kind of thing. I think that, yeah, that's awesome. I like to use the model, your service, your agency, the search engine shop, is kind of like the done for you service or the done with you consulting. But this course can be the ultimate scalable uh, do it yourself, you know, program where you're essentially saying the same stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, 
when I got into your material, immediately I started noticing things that were like, oh, this is this is a good course. Like this is a high quality course. And I'll share with you like what some of those are from my, my opinion, taking it. Uh, I have, a, you know, an e-commerce store for selling software. And I also have my own course projects. You, you mentioned you have a didgeridoo thing going on. I have an organic gardening permaculture thing going on. I've got all kinds of stuff. So, uh, but so I was really fascinated from the software sales side, from the course sales sides. Um, but the thing you said that, that I noticed right away was, I think you made the promise of like, look, it's going to take about eight hours to get through this course and implement everything you learn. I was like, that is so refreshing. Like I literally knocked it out like in two days, uh, you know, a couple four hour blocks. I'm just, I'm going to like learn from Brendan and start implementing. And uh, it wasn't like this huge commitment. It wasn't a big ask. I mean, it was to like do the work, but it was only eight hours. And most of your lessons were literally like two to three minute video with like some very specific um, calls to action of like, this is what you need to do. This is how to implement it. You had like explainer text. I'm kind of going on a lot of things, but it was, it was those elements that made it like approachable, digestible and actionable. So how did you, where does that come from in terms of as an instructional designer? Because a lot of people think they, you know, they have all this great content in their head and they're just going to put it behind a paywall. But yours, uh, it, you immediately got me into action and getting results and getting quick wins. Where did you learn to teach like that? Well, that, I mean, that comes from experience standing in front of people because it's, um, I guess there's a few things you need people to understand and you need them to understand that what, what, what it is you're, you're trying to explain to them why they need to do it and then how to do it. So a lot of courses they have really long videos, you know, each module is 20 videos, uh, 20 minutes long. And, um, you know, a lot of that is the how to. So we structured the course with, that were short videos, you know, up to five minutes long. There was a couple of longer ones for some of the modules, but the videos really talk about the what and why. And then we had long text with screenshots, which were kind of taken from a lot of our internal processes that explain the how to do it. Um, because a lot of that stuff is better in text format because people can follow along as they do it. So it really came from that because people don't want to, you know, a lot of people don't want to sit there. And 30 minutes is a long time to invest. 20, 30 minutes is a long time to invest to watch a video. So we wanted to make it about action. Like, you know, all the information in the world is is useless. Like if you don't you don't act on it. I think Derek Siva says that, you know, if information was all we needed, we'd all be millionaires with a six-pack, right? So... <laughs> Um, yeah, so I really wanted it to be action-based and it actually really was based on our internal processes, our own SEO checklist. We use Process Street now, so a lot of the stuff from that course and one of our other courses just came directly from Process Street. was massaged a little bit for public consumption. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, just from experience, so those two things, make it work for the team and just having that in-person workshop and, and training experience. Where, what about the quick wins? Like as soon as somebody enrolls in a course when their attention and excitement is the highest, you have all these like little quick wins that people can do. Like where did you get that trick from? Well, that comes from our agency because tra traditionally the agency was SEO agency. So when it started, we started in 2008. So we started doing SEO. And back then SEO was quite easy. Uh, you know, things would happen quickly. Whereas, you know, over the years, SEO has got harder takes a longer time, you know, it's three to six months to show results. So people need results today. You know, people are spending 
thousands of dollars a month on SEO agency services, they need to see results. So a lot of the quick wins are really best practices, just wrapped in some, some better language. You know, simple things like in our agency, like setting up a Google Maps listing, Apple Maps listing and, and Bing Maps listing. There's super quick wins and often that can double some businesses' traffic overnight. So it really kind of gets you focused on, you, you know, you get those results straight away. And a lot of those things are like 20 minutes worth of work and you're done, and you know, you know, within days you start seeing results. So it's a good way to build momentum. They're easy, they're digestible, and you don't, they're not necessarily things you need to know a lot about to do. It's really just, hey, do this. It's really simple. Just follow the steps. It takes 15 minutes and you're done and you'll see results. So that's why we did that. And, uh, you know, getting the momentum, and as you probably know, a lot of people buy courses and things and don't do it. So the quick wins front-loaded at the start really kind of builds that momentum and gets people excited, I think, too. That's awesome. Well, if you're looking to up your SEO game for your web, if you have a website that sells stuff, uh, I, I recommend checking out Pareto e-commerce. That's it. ParetoEcommerce.com. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. How long did it take you to make the course? <laughs> Too long. Too long. Really? I couldn't tell if he, he, I couldn't tell if, I mean, you obviously knew the material and I was like, he just banged this out with like a video, a good video person, like, like the content recording pretty quick, or maybe it took a while. I don't know, but it took a while. If I was doing it again, I, was, <laughs> I had a proper camera and I did the video editing myself. And I think the first half I did all myself. So it would, it was, I think four hours per module, uh, most of the modules. Um, and I think there's, there's five to 10 modules per week and four weeks worth of content and then some, some bonus content. So it took a long time because I messed around with the video myself and I was new to video editing like that. So, um, yeah, longer than it should. And in the, the second half of the modules, I had a video person do it for me. So, so what are we talking like a month, six months, a year, two years? What was it? I think I built it over the course of two or three months. So okay. And working on it, probably spending, you know, every day of the week, half the day working on it. Yes. So, yeah, too much time. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's still a success story. I mean, because you launched and you got it going. We, we see way too many people um, just failure to launch, failure to finish, like lots of yeah. starting, but not as much finishing. What, what was the motivation and the driving force that kept you committed for the th two to three months? Well, the material, I know the material works. So... Um, yeah, it was really a case of, okay, we just, I started it, we got to finish it. And I was so, I guess I'd sunk so much time into it. It was like, well, if we don't finish it, then, uh, yeah, that's, that's time totally lost. But, um, yeah, I mean, the thing is it's, it's stuff that we know actually works. And, you know, even if we didn't have a huge launch to people, it, a, a lot of our agency clients use the product as well. Um, so yeah, so, you know, it had an immediate target market, I guess, as well. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, well, you kind of brushed over it quickly when you were talking about teaching. But in your course, earlier on, you mentioned the who, what, why, how test. Mm. What does that mean for like a website owner? If I'm selling something and somebody hits my website, can you just teach that lesson here on the podcast? Yeah, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. Um, I, I mean, at the most basic level, one mistake that online stores make is they don't tell people they... So, so because we're dealing with agency clients, a lot of them are a real store, like a physical shop that you go to and they have an online store. And they don't tell people who hit the site one way or the other that they're an online store or a, a, a retail store. So 
we came up with this concept. It was, it was a way of framing that teaching the workshops. So who you are, what you do, um, you know, why buy from you and how to buy or what the next step is or the call to action or whatever. So that was really about, hey, if you're an online store, tell people that they can buy online. I have a menu item at least that says shop online. Um, and then if you're a physical retail store or an online store, have, you know, a locations menu or, you know, visit us or something like that. So that's where that came from. Um, and really people need to be able to hit the website and understand that really quickly. So it was like, who are, what you do, why, why buy from you and how to buy or, you know, how to get in touch or, or call to action. And it, it's kind of a rule that needs to be applied to the homepage, but particularly for like pure e-commerce businesses, people who are actually shipping boxes, most of the people are hitting the site. If they're running something like Google shopping ads, that the first page they see on the site may actually be a category page or a product page. So those pages need to kind of tick those boxes as well. And one really good way to do that is have it, you know, things in the menu item or things in the header that are really clear about what you do, who you are, that sort of thing. So that one's really important and it's a really quick win. If, if someone hits the website and they don't realize you're an online store, don't realize you're a, a physical retail store, then you're missing huge opportunity to do business with you. And a lot of the time, it's so e-commerce in Australia is a little bit behind the US. It's not as mature and people really you know, there's a lot of trust that you get automatically if you actually have a physical bricks and mortar store and you're selling online. So, yeah, it's a it's a simple one, but very powerful and it really helps from a conversion perspective. Is that also kind of like the headline, like the main headline on the homepage and the description text and like one call to action button kind of like how do you optimize those three elements? Yeah, it's it's kind of a lens to look at look, look at those three elements, I guess. And someone needs to be able to hit the site straight away without having to look for it, kind of understand those things or be able to pick them up within a few seconds. So, yeah. Since we have an SEO expert with us today, I wanted to ask a hard SEO question. <laughs> um, it's it's not, not to put you on the spot. But, um, <laughs> so I see a lot of people ask for an SEO plugin recommendation like Yoast SEO. Yep. And in my mind, I'm always thinking, well, yeah, that's a great plugin, but it's what you do with it that matters. Like if somebody's like starting at zero and wants to install something like Yoast, I mean, it doesn't really do that much until you start actually like filling in all the stuff. Like, but it can be a little overwhelming. Like if you're kind of new to WordPress or new to websites and marketing and you're like more of a, just a teacher trying to get online or whatever, how do you, what are the basics of getting started with an SEO plugin? Like what are the key things, where are the key places to focus on after you press install and activate? Sure. So I'll give you a couple. So, um, okay. Number one is fill out as many fields as you can. So go through every single panel in the plugin and you know, everything that makes sense. Like we, so we're in our agency business, we'll load up a site, open up, they have Yoast installed as most people do these days. And none of the fields are completed in the plugin, like simple stuff in the Yoast plugin. There's a social section where you fill out your business name and you put an image, you know, your logo image and you enter all your social properties and YouTube and everything else. And those aren't filled in. So those don't need an SEO expert to fill them in. So I'd say go through and just complete as many fields as you can. Now, the two other kind of low-hanging fruit, like a lot of people think SEO backlinks, that's, that's kind of how they link it up in their head. But... There's two really low-hanging fruit kind of quick win areas when it comes to SEO, and those are 
meta description. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you a link to a short video training that explains how we write meta descriptions. So one thing we do particularly for our bigger clients is meta description optimization. So the blurb that appears in the search results when your site appears. So one thing that, so in the AdWords world, it's well known that ad copy makes a big difference. So small changes in ad copy can double the click-through rates. So if you top, swap the top and bottom lines of an AdWords ad around, you can get double click-through rates. That's twice as much traffic from that same ad. You haven't really done anything to it. You've tweaked a few elements. So a lot of people don't realize, or in the SEO world, it's never really talked about. Meta descriptions are exactly the same thing as an AdWords ad, except they're free. So very so actually giving some attention to your meta description, so handcrafting it, spending some time to think about it and write as if it's a sales blurb and use some of those same techniques as you would use in AdWords can in some cases get a 50% or 100% increase in traffic. Now, I'll link you up to some resources that explain how we do that. Simple things like capitalizing, um, putting important words like free in all caps or fast, like free, fast shipping in all caps not stands out and using capitals at the start of um, every word in that meta description. So actually having a meta description written for every page on the website, so every page is unique. So ideally every page should have a meta description um, and you can template it across the site. So in Yoast you can set a template for the meta description for all pages and all blog posts. So if they don't have one manually written, then it will just default to that template. So I'd say writing the meta description, handcrafting it and writing it in a kind of sales copy type of way. So, so that would be one thing to do. And then another thing to do, which is a similar thing, but for the socials. So um, creating a custom open graph image for when you, whenever you put, create content, ideally having a custom open graph image for each piece of content. But again, in a similar way, you can set a default open graph image across the whole website. And I'll link you up to a tool, a Facebook tool that will show you what your website looks like when you share it on the socials or a, web, a page on your site looks like when you share it on the socials. So handcraft, again, creating a custom image for um, the open graph tags will increase the click-through rate from the socials and anywhere else that that, that, that page or your site is shared, like Slack, uh, Skype, Facebook Messenger, that sort of thing. So those few things are not really, they're not the hard typical SEO backlinks, but they can make a huge difference, particularly to a business that already has momentum. If you already have a traffic strategy and you're already making sales, doing these small little things, which are not really, there's no SEO skills required, doing these small things can make a huge difference to the traffic, particularly as you know, it's it's a percentage win. So if it's a 20% traffic win, if you already have decent traffic numbers, if you're doing five or 10,000 visitors a month, those are fairly substantial. 20% increase in traffic on that, it's fairly substantial for, you know, something that might take, the, the meta descriptions might take, you know, a few hours to do the custom open graphic image, open up Canva and you can knock that out in 20 minutes. So um, yeah, those are probably, I think there was three there I gave you. So filling out as many fields as you understand that, that I've, you know, makes sense. Meta descriptions are so important that nobody talks about really, no, no one in the SEO space really gives it any attention. And then open graph images and at a minimum setting a, a default open graph image across the entire website. Now in the Yoast plugin, it's under, I think it's under the social menu and you'll see there's somewhere too, there's a section in there, I think social, the Facebook tab, and then you set the image there. So really easy stuff, no real skills, SEO skills required and can make a huge difference. So, yeah.
And that stuff is in Brendan's course. And I implemented that stuff. Some of it, I had just been, you know, focused on other things. And I realized like some of my social sharing images, like for my podcast, had my face like cut off. It was just the wrong size image. It was terrible. It was like, it was like a five minute fix. And now like when that's shared, it actually looks like a presentable graphic. <laughs> and yeah. And just to be clear, the um, the meta descriptions, like when you search something in Google, there's like big blue letters, the title, and then the meta description is a little paragraph below that. And if you don't tell Google what to put there, um, it's going to do the best it can. But you might be linking to a page on your website that just has like a video on it and a button that's like super important to your business. And it's got nothing to grab. There's no content to grab. So it literally, it's it'll show up blank. Um but yeah, and I noticed, like I started implementing a lot of this stuff and I do have big traffic to our software site. And I noticed like an uptick in, uh, in sales right away. It was like a really, these easy things that I noticed like, oh my gosh, like there's like, there's a trend there. There's like a little bump. I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So talk about as a student, what makes taking a course motivating is results. And so you were giving me results quickly and, uh, and I could see it, like I could look at my Google Analytics and see the results. Yeah. yeah. You talk about um, phone number a bunch. I wanted to get into that. Um, I'm a big fan of the phone number. Mm. Um, for me, I use a tool called Calendly where I, I don't put my phone number out there, but I make it super easy for people to schedule calls with me or with my team, uh, sales calls basically, but I don't, it's basically like I'm not hiding behind the website. And sometimes when I talk to people, they're like, it's, you're like, a, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm talking to you. Like usually I can't get a hold of people at these companies and blah, 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 blah. It's like a huge trust factor. Can you talk about the phone number issue and like your take on it? Yeah. So, I mean, at what we see, particularly because we deal with so many, or we deal with a lot of local businesses, but you know, in the e-commerce space, a lot of people want to hide behind. They want the passive income dream. They want order. They want to wake up and have a you know an inbox full of money, basically. Um, and they don't want to talk on the phone. But what we found is just by having the phone number in the header of the site, and we actually put the phone number in the title tag and the meta description for our e-commerce sites. Um, just by having it there engenders trust. So people need three things to buy from you. So when people are buying, they need to check these three boxes. And if you can't check these three boxes, then they won't buy from you. So they need demand or desire. They need to want what you're selling. They need a way to pay for it. So whether or not they have the money or they can put on a credit card or you offer finance. And then they need trust. They trust in you, the company, um, and the products and services you're selling. So having the phone number there is an easy way to shortcut that, that trust element. They don't necessarily need to talk to you, but they need to have that feeling that if something goes wrong, they can pick up the phone and call you. So um, having the phone number there is, is powerful. And then if it's a 1-800 number, you know, we see a lot of you know, small business owners put their mobile cell number on the site and that makes you look small. Whereas if you have a, a, you know, a free call number, an 800 number in Australia, it's a 1-800 number it makes you look bigger and more serious. So it, it kind of whispers things to the visitor um, and you don't necessarily, these people aren't necessarily getting a lot of extra phone calls from it, but they are converting more. So um, these things were, were hard five or 10 years ago. It was really tough to get phone numbers and mess around with it. Um, but today, so we use Twilio and we use CallRail as our two call tools. 
And it's easy to push these numbers around. You can push them to a voicemail, which then sends to emails. So you don't actually have to be answering the phone. You can call people back. Um, we use Calendly as well to book, book appointments. Um, we use answering services. So there's ways to kind of leverage the power of phone numbers without having that, oh, I'm always having to answer my phone or it's, you know, this number's redirecting to my cell or I don't have someone there 24-7 to answer it. So I think the phone number is really powerful. I think the web... I, there's kind of a turning point on the web right now, like from my perspective, that we've gone through this era where people look at analytics tools and they just see numbers. They don't see the people behind those numbers. And I think we're at this tipping point where businesses that think of their visitors as real people who have lives, fears, desires, whatever, and treating them like real people, I think those businesses long-term are going to win. So I think the phone number is an easy way to connect with people. It's the shortest way to get to a sale. Some of the question. They pick up the phone and call you. Yep, questions answered. I'll buy something. So I love phone numbers. Yeah, yeah. Don't be scared of the phone. That would be my advice. And yeah. on that note, I noticed you you use chat, and uh, I'm I'm known on on Twitter at least as a Drift super fan. Yeah, um, <laughs> I use Drift as well. <laughs> what is chat? Just kind of the same thing as the phone number, like allowing people to directly connect with people and not wait for emails and stuff. Yeah, I think so, right? Like it's a it's a shortcut again, like it's the easiest way to get those but people need questions answered. People need to know things before they buy it. So it's an easy way to solve that problem. So um, I love Drift as well. So we've used so many different tools over the years. And I don't know why Drift feels so good, but it's just it's easy to use on the front end and as a on the back end it has an app that's, you know, like a lot of the Drift chats come through to my my phone as well. So you know, and the team can deal with it. I don't know. It's just a fantastic app. And I think the, the base plan is free as well, which makes it even better. So, Yeah, Drift, yeah. Is, uh, Drift is super cool. I was actually chatting to somebody on my team who helps with sales. And as we were talking, um, somebody from a university had a questions about our largest package, which is a $3,000 annual plan. And there was like, she was like, hold on a second. I'm getting these questions about, you know, the, what we call the infinity bundle developer license, which is a big software kit. And, uh, she just like handled those like through drift. And then I watched in my Slack and boom, the e-commerce light went on. So yeah. I was like, yeah, the, the tool, that's what people want when they have, especially in sales, when they have questions, they don't want to wait. Yep. Yeah, exactly. People are ready to buy. Like there's you know, <laughs> 3% of any market is ready to buy right now. So you just <laughs> need to get the roadblocks out of the way, right? So yeah, I'm a huge fan of Drift. Yeah, it's a, it's a super tool. Um, among your many other talents, you're also a documentary film star. I saw you on the... Uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I saw you on your, the, your own way out... Um, your friend Tom LaBelle, who was a guest on this episode, great podcast about course marketing. Go check that out. But he filmed a documentary with another guy, and you were in it. You were one of the the people on there, which was kind of a, from my perspective, it was a snapshot in time looking at the digital nomad movement. I think that might have been filmed around one of the um, uh, Dynamite Circle meetups. I could yeah. be wrong. 2015, maybe 2014, but yeah, it was filmed. A lot of it was filmed in Bangkok, I think, at around the conference. Yeah. So I, I've had an agency like uh, before I got into software doing website stuff. I took it on the road. You know, I lived in Costa Rica for a while. I have, I have kids, and I'm a little bit more settled now. 
but I've seen the digital nomad movement change. I really enjoyed watching that. I thought the interview series was great with that snapshot in time. And I think you said 2015, how has the digital nomad like world changed here we are in 2018, like three years later, like what's different. One of the things you already mentioned was that, um, you know, the passive income, like there's a little bit more, if you want it to really work these days, you got to engage or you need to build systems and processes to like have real human beings connect with each other. It's not about building a perfect marketing, automating high conversion machine. There's, there's still some humanity in it. Like, how, how is the industry evolving? How is that movement evolving? Yeah, I don't, I think, so I spent several years traveling and, you know, living overseas. And I, I guess I, I started in 2013 um, traveling and I lived, spent a lot of time in Chiang Mai in the north of Thailand. And I think back then it felt a bit special and like we were doing something different and it was kind of unique and, Back then, you wouldn't tell customers that where you were because if you're in Thailand, you're on holidays and you weren't you know, serious about business or work or whatever. Um, but I think now it's it's just nothing. I think you know corporate workers work remotely. They work at home. They they work from anywhere. I don't think I think and smartphones are a big part of that. But I don't think being able to work on the move or you know work and travel or whatever way you want to frame it is a big deal and there's a huge you know the remote work movement is a massive deal now like it just didn't exist a few years ago um, but you look at sites like i think it's remote okay um, by peter levels like there's just every day there's 10 or 20 really high level jobs on there um, for you know remote work it's not just someone with a laptop and a backpack right now and like it used to be like you know hustling together a thousand bucks a month so they can kind of do the the travel and and work thing like it's it's i think a genuine way of working now and i don't i think the traditional office doesn't work like it used to like and people have flexible you know you don't necessarily have to be a digital nomad and travel the world i think you know you have kids you know a lot of people in corporate jobs now work my sister works two days from home and she has like a, a proper corporate kind of job. So um, I think it was very special before and it was unique, but I think it's just how people work now. Like I think the, the, the mainstream have caught up to what was, you know, people that were kind of leading this path. So I don't think there's particularly anything special about the, the digital nomad space anymore apart from, you know, it has a special name where it's really just remote work. That's what, you know, the mainstream is calling it, I think. Yeah. Well, those are some good thoughts. One of your other projects is called WP Speed Fix. Mm-hmm. How did, well, how did, what was the genesis of that? I'm assuming by the name, it, it's a service that helps people dramatically speed up their WordPress websites. Yeah, so it's, we do WordPress speed optimization. So it started as just one of those services we offered agency clients. It started, you know, it was just something we were doing as part of SEO. And we have a post on our website that ranks really high now for things related to WordPress speed optimization. So I started getting questions about it. So that's, you know, we created the Gravity Forms. So we split it out into its own service. There was a Gravity Form. If you wanted this service, you could buy it and our team would just fix slow websites. And now it's its own fully-fledged business. So we split it out into its own brand and own website six or 12 months ago. And now it has a life of its own. So, I mean, WordPress speed is huge. WordPress powers 30 or 40% of the web and out of the box, it isn't particularly fast. Um, and speed is, you know, an important factor. There's all these numbers thrown around about, you know, one, one second slower is 1% conversion rate. I don't know how true any of those are, but 
you know, at the, the end of the day, if a website's slow to load, people quickly lose interest and click away. So, um, yeah, speed is key. It, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll sell more if you have a faster website, but, you know, you're probably losing sales right now if your site is slow. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting project. We have a technical team, so our developers are quite technical, so it's an easy thing for our team to do. So, um, so yeah. it's an it's a implementation service with a specific yes. promise. Yep, yep. So we have three levels of service right now. So the base one, you know, we have the site loading in under three seconds. A lot of the sites we get are taking 10 to 20 seconds to load and they have like huge images and, you know, the, the sites are 10 or 20 megs, so they're just super slow. So, you know, the guys do a, a baseline level of best practices, speed stuff on the base plan and then on the higher plans, they really kind of get in there and fine tune it and you know, get it loading as fast as possible. That is awesome. And I just want to highlight, because now you've said it twice, it started in uh, an agency. You had an agency, a problem that you were helping your agency clients. You wrote a blog post about it. Uh, you got demand was like signals were up. You know, people were contacting you about this WordPress speed up post that you wrote. You, then you made a gravity form to validate the idea and, you know, probably did the high touch concierge deal. And then later, once that was successful, you built a team and a process around it and just kept scaling it out, ultimately carving it out into its own brand. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's amazing. And I, to me, that sounds like the right way to do things. Sometimes people start with like, they start, they try to do that in reverse. Like, okay, I've got this great offer. I'm going to carve out its own brand. I'm going to build a beautiful website and a team, and then I'm going to put it up for sale. Or you kind of did the bootstrapper model. Um, any comments on that? Not really. I mean, the, it kind of just evolved. It was, I get looking back, it was kind of easy and it was obvious. It was just something that evolved over time. It was like, you know, people are asking about it. Like, you know, we can just, you know, we can help you if you want. You pay us to help you, we'll fix it. And it just, it just evolved organically. So it just felt like, I think sometimes when it feels like it's too easy, that's probably the path you should follow. So <laughs> I've had a few things in life like that, that just like this is, it almost like I say to some like in conversations with people, I'm like, it feels like a rot. It's too easy. Like it's just people want the service. We do it well. They buy it. Everybody's happy. So it kind of feels like effortless in a way. Can you talk about the transition from like you validating the idea to like developing a process and hiring a team around it? Like how do you, how do you bridge that gap? <laughs> it's a, a lot of like, should I do it? Should I not do it? <laughs> and then one day I just get fed up with it. And uh, it's happened a few times. I'm like, all right, I'll just like, I'll spend the weekend just dealing with it and let's just, throw some time and, you know, to, to build it out into its own brand was maybe 40 hours, 50 hours of my time of sitting down, messing around with that guys, tweaking the process. So we used Process Street and Zendesk and Zapier to tie it all together. So, um, what is you know, What does Process Street do? I'm just not familiar with that. Is it like oh, a... Process Street is, is amazing. So it is... Uh, it's, it's, like, it's like Drift. It's one of those game-changer pieces of software. So it's, um, so it's like a, a checklist... Uh, it's like an SOP and checklist in one. So you have a template that has the the process to do stuff that is also a checklist. And it's kind of similar to how an info product would be laid out that you have modules and it has a video and a text explanation and it has checkboxes. So we use that for all of our processes because we're dealing with technical things that are mostly the same. 95% of the time it is the same process. 
the work might vary slightly, but we walk through the same steps. So I don't think we'd be able to run the business now without process street. I think things would just fall apart because everything comes back to the process. And then if something doesn't work, we just go and tweak the process street checklist for it because it's based on a template system. Then every future checklist that's built on that process has that improvement. So that's been a key for like, building out the team and be able having people be, be able to do these technical things and training and things like that. So um, internally, we actually use our own training products and then each one pretty much has a, a process street mirror of that, you know, the, the work we need to do is in process street. So if you haven't checked it out, it, it's definitely worth having a look. So especially if you do anything, even stuff like we have a process street for publishing our podcast and publishing content and things like that because it's just... We come back every time we come. Something goes wrong. We come back to the checklist and process street. So, does the uh, does your team take any part in um, updating the processes, or does that who 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 updates it? You do you update it? Do they update it? Does everybody? The team, it? depending what it is, we might talk about the update. We might talk about something we have to change. The guys might edit things or update things, and especially things like screenshot software changes all the time. So we need to tweak screenshots or tweak the way we're doing it, or there might be some gaps in there. So. I'll do it or the team will do it. Just We have a daily stand-up call. So um, we have a 10, 15-minute call every day where everyone talks about what they're doing for the day. And, you know, if there's some gaps or problems that arise from that, then we'll dig into it and someone will update it. It's not necessarily me, but yeah. That is awesome. Well, Brendan Tully, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming on the show. Um, Pareto e-commerce, if you want to up your SEO game, and not just hear a bunch of good ideas in theory, but like get, get moving into action and get results quickly. I highly recommend Brendan's course, Fredo e-commerce. If you want to speed up your WordPress website, I guarantee you listening out there, you have a WordPress website uh, and it's probably slower than you think. So, you know, try that, try that website on a, um, you know, outside of the 4G LTE network or whatever. And, uh, you know, website speed can get really bad and amplified speed problems when you're on mobile or in countries. If you have an international business, not everybody has great internet or people live in rural areas. So it's, it's a really important um, thing to look at. That's over at WPSpeedFix.com. Brendan, thanks for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Great I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. And that's a wrap for this episode of LMS Cast. I'm your guide, Chris Badgett. I hope you enjoyed the show. This show was brought to you by Lifter LMS, the number one tool for creating, selling, and protecting engaging online courses to help you get more revenue, freedom, and impact in your life. Head on over to lifterlms.com and get the best gear for your course creator journey. Let's build the most engaging results getting courses on the internet.